Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank God for who he is, what he's done, what we have in him. You know, in him, your future looks bright and glorious. Aren't you glad to be in him? In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. Praise God. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say, thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, when we're studying God's word, pouring over God's word, it's important that we're inspired. We thank God for inspiration. Nothing wrong with that. We need to be inspired. But also we talked about that we need to be informed. We need information. Then we need impartation. God imparting something to us. What do you want us to receive this morning here, Lord? And then transformation. Oh, thank God for transformation change us from glory to glory. And finally, application. How do I apply that to my life so that it becomes a living reality in my life? Everybody ready for change this morning? Amen. We're talking about the life of faith. This is uh, number five. And like I said, we could talk about faith for a whole year and never exhaust the subject. It's so important to recognize the fact that without faith, we can't be saved. Without faith, we can't please God. And without faith, the gospel profits no one. Think about that. It profits no one without faith. And so it's important that we understand how to live by faith and walk by faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, our opening text, it talks about how we're in a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I want you to notice the first part of that verse Fight the good fight of faith. Fight means to use force to present the success of an enemy. There are enemies out there that don't like us. Have you noticed that? And they want to destroy us. And we want to prevent their success. Well, how are we going to prevent their success? By using force. Remember what uh, Jesus talked about when he talked about John the Baptist and said until the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffered violence and the violence take it how? By being wimpy. Lethargic. No, by, by what? Exerting intense energy 
to take the kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to all believers. Jesus made that very clear. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But we have an op of opposition. We've got a lot of opposition coming against us to keep us out of our kingdom rights, blessings, and privileges. So we're in a fight. We're to fight the good fight of faith to see to it that we exert ourselves so that we can enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. They all belong to us. But the enemy is not going to sit back and just say, have at it. Just go ahead and enjoy the table that's filled with all the blessings of God. He will fight us tooth and nail to see to us that we don't enter into and enjoy our blessings. Just like the promised land. It was right there before them, but they didn't enter in. And if you don't understand that language, then how about this? Let's just say that uh, a football team is on the one-yard line. And all they need to do is score one more touchdown to win the game. And you've got the opposing team on the other side of that line of scrimmage. And they're going to ex exercise themselves and exert energy to keep that team from entering into the end zone to score that winning touchdown. So both are going to provide what? The energy that they need to see to it that they prevent the success of the other. Now, this is my testimony. It's my illustration. So the Steelers are in it. And the Browns are on it. My testimony, my illustration, not yours. And there's three seconds left of the game. And Nick Chubb's in the backfield. I'm calling out the plays. <laughs> and try as they may, they couldn't keep him out of the end zone, and the Browns won. <laughs> there's a couple of hallelujahs out there anyhow. Well, you got the devil on that side. We got God on our side, but now notice this. That is natural energy that they're using. But you see, they didn't know that I prayed that Nick Chubb would score that winning touchdown. See, we're not using our own strength, power, or ability to overcome and enter into the blessings of God. We're using the power of God that's on the inside of us. Remember that verse in Ephesians 3.20 that talks about how God's able to do for us exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think how? According to the power of God that's operating, working on the inside of each and every one of us. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own ability. It's applying the power of God to the circumstance or the situation, knowing that greater is he who's in us than he that is in the world. And so it's up to us to see to it that we do our part, to see to it that we yield to the power of God, knowing that it's not our ability, not our strength, not our intelligence, not our power or might, but the greater one who lives in us, that we learn how to, by faith, allow him to manifest himself through us so that we can have victory and enter into our blessings. Now, in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, here we have Jesus praying for Simon Peter. Notice this. Simon, Simon. You realize that's there because he's emphasizing something of great importance to Simon. That's why we have the double Simon. Simon, Simon. Satan asked to sift each of you like wheat. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. He wants to tear you apart. Actually, one says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. And I'm praying that the devil leave you alone. I'm praying that God sends some prayer warriors around you, Peter. No, I'm praying that your faith should fail not. 
Of all the things that he could have prayed for, he prays that his faith fail not. That there's not a breakdown in your faith, is what he was saying. He is praying that his faith doesn't cease to work. Remember when he was walking on the water and he got out of faith? What happened? He began to sink. Jesus understood the value and the importance of an individual's faith. Because you see, the work of God is a work of faith with power. Those two forces working together to create a dynamic move of God in people's lives. So he prayed that his faith fell not. A person's faith can become weak. It can cease to work if we don't feed it and continue to give it the word so that it can become stronger and stronger. And so this fight, which is called the fight of faith, is to be understood that we have opposing forces of darkness wanting to prevent us from entering into our blessings. And it's up to us to take what belongs to us by our faith in him. Remember, when you're using your faith, you're not using your power. You're using faith in his power. And there's the difference. And you know what? I believe that Jesus has prayed the same prayer for all of us, not just for Peter, that our faith fell not, but it rises up to the task. Now, if faith involves a fight, then there have to be some enemies against our faith. All kinds of opposition against our faith coming against us to trying to, once again, cause our faith to not work. So some of the say obstacles or hindrances could be, number one, and I believe this is the most important one for us to understand, is deception. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Deception is one of the biggest opponents to our faith. It's an obstacle that many stumble over. But I fear, Paul said, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word beguiled there could be deceived. Some translations do say deceived. Notice what he uses as an illustration. Now, this is his illustration. What is it? Eve, in the very beginning, she was deceived. To deceive means to present as truth what is a lie and get someone to believe the lie and make them think that it's really true. So here's Eve, and what is she doing? Minding her own business in the garden. When all of a sudden the serpent comes up and starts making some suggestions. Or some, give some thoughts. Did, did God really say that if you partake of that tree that you would die? You know, you know he doesn't mean it. I'll paraphrase it. You're not going to die. He knows the moment you partake of that, you're going to be like him. He's holding back some things from you that you should desire to have. So she finally looks. Hmm. So the grass is greener on the other side, huh? Okay. Oh, he'll say all kinds of things to make us believe his lies. What does she do? She's deceived. She actually thinks God is holding back. And that he didn't mean what he said when he said, you touch it, you die. And so she touches it. She was deceived. Instead of using her faith to stand against this opposing force of darkness and saying, no way, devil. What God said is true. I'm not going to buy your lie. I cast down that thought and that imagination. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I bring to captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. 
What I believe is what God said, and what I say is what God said. And so as far as I'm concerned, this is not your place to be out in Jesus' name. Back then, you didn't use Jesus' name. It's just out. And what would have happened? Oh, Lord. What would have happened? Eternal bliss. Right? Well, I want you to, re I broke this out because I want you to see this. This is just beyond anything I can comprehend. But this is an article used by the dean of Bible, the Bible department at Geneva College. And this is what he writes. Don't waste your cancer. Um, matter of fact, I looked it up and I think the article is an article written by John Piper. Don't waste your cancer. If you don't believe it is designed for you by God, you're going to waste your cancer. If you believe it's a curse, not a gift, you're going to waste your cancer. If you don't believe cancer is meant to awaken us to the reality of God, you're going to waste your cancer. Cancer, God has something in it for us. So sit back, enjoy the ride, learn from it, embrace it, thank, thank God for it. And that's being taught at the Bible college. That's deception. It's also hypocrisy. Because, well, first of all, Deuteronomy 28.61 says every sickness and disease is a curse of the law. Whether it's written, unwritten, named, unnamed, known, unknown, it's a curse of the law. So cancer is a curse, not a blessing. But to make all these Bible students believe this and some supposedly going off into the ministry and be taught that, that this is an awakening that comes to us, God does this to awaken us to his reality, is deception. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's the truth. That's reality. But the enemy will use anything he can to deceive people into thinking the wrong thing. Why is he doing that? Because then if you believe it came from God for a reason, you will not resist it. But here's where the hypocrisy lies. And I try to run this by so many people that think this way. If you really believe that, then why are you going to see a doctor? Why are you taking a medication? Why are you getting chemotherapy? Because if God sent it to you to awaken you to he, who he is, then sit back and enjoy the ride and let it have its way. It's hypocrisy. I believe God wants us well. And I believe he can do it supernaturally. And I believe he can do it through medical science. Because he'll oversee things if you believe, etc. You could do it holistically. However, God wants us well. He wants us whole. And Jesus proved that when he walked on this planet. He went about seeking anybody that he could. And he healed them all. Every, he had compassion toward everyone that was sick and healed them all. That's the reality that scriptures teach us about the very heart of God. So deception is number one. To deceive people into thinking wrong. And that's a tough one. There's so much out there in the world. But number two. Unbelief. Unbelief. And there are two kinds of unbelief. But look at Hebrews 3 verse 19 first. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Speaking of the Israelites not entering into the promised land. What kept them out was unbelief. 
So unbelief is twofold. Number one, it's a lack of knowledge. If we don't know something, you can't have faith in it. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? But how shall they call upon him? How, how shall, shall they call upon him? If they haven't heard about him. How can they believe on someone if they don't know about him? You can't believe something that you don't know. So a lack of knowledge means you can't have faith in something that you don't know about. So to re the remedy for that is what? Teaching. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Here we have Jesus. Or, uh, this is about Jesus. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few, few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. So what's the remedy? So he went about the village's teaching. Teaching. You see, the teaching ministry is so essential if we're going to rise up above deception, if we're going to rise up above unbelief. We've got to be taught the right thing. I didn't know that God's word said that my children will be like, my, my children be around my table like all the plants. Didn't know that. So I couldn't believe in something I didn't know. But the moment I found out that that's what God wanted for my life, I was on my knees, praise God, I thank God for it, and believed God for a miracle that gave birth to two more children. You see, if you don't know it, you can't have faith in it. But then there's another thing, and this is subtle. It's called unpersuadableness. Not persuaded to act upon what you know. The Israelites were told, go to the promised land. They were told, I will go before you. I will make the way clear for you. I'll send an angel before you. They'll go in, wipe out the Israel, all the ites that are in the land. The Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the, all the ites. I'll wipe them out. And so there they were. They got to the promised land. They saw signs, wonders, miracles all the way up to the promised land. When all of a sudden they got to the promised land and they said, there it is. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Joshua Caleb says we could do it. We're well able to do it. Let's go do it. But those two could not persuade the two and a half million to rise up and say, yes, let's go do it. And so what happened? They failed to enter into the promised land. Why? Unbelief was unpersuadableness. They could not be persuaded to do it God's way. And so he said to them, now you're going to die in the wilderness. And that's exactly what happened to them. So the third one, impatience. Impatience is another enemy to our faith. And this one, hmm, I think we've all been challenged by this one. Hebrews chapter 6, let's read it first and then we'll comment about Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says that we're to show the same diligence as others did, not to be slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, if he would have said through faith and impatience they inherit the promises, we'd all have it made. If he would have said unbelief and impatience, we'd all have it made. But they, he, they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. And here, notice what it says. We desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance to, of hope to the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and what? Patience inherit the promises. So to inherit the promise of God requires faith and patience on the part of the believer. Abraham was told that he would have a child through Sarah, his wife. He says, oh, okay. He thought it was going to happen quickly, right away. It didn't happen quickly, right away. Have you ever been there? How many of you like quick answers to prayer? 
Do you like quick answers to prayer? Instant answers to prayer. Aren't those the best? We all love that, right? How many of you know it doesn't happen that way all the time? That it takes time sometimes. Why? You'll reap if you faint not. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength to mount up with wings as eagles and run and not worry and walk and not faint. So if we don't faint, we're going to reap. Why does it say that? Because of impatience. Abraham now was told you're going to have a child through Sarah. He got impatient. Sarah got impatient. It got to the place where they figured, we got to help God out. Have you ever been there before? we got to help God out. We've got to go and do something to help God to make sure that, you know, he's honoring what he said. You think God needs our help? I don't think so. I think he could do it. And so Sarah says to Abraham, you know, Hagar, you need to have a child with her. He was right on that one. He said, oh, okay. And they have a child. He has a child through Hagar, Ishmael. Was that God's will for his life? No. And why did it happen? Impatience. Impatience. Standing in faith, we're going to be challenged from every direction. All kinds of thoughts, doubts, unbelief. I understand what he was going through. Because not everything is instantaneous. We've got to stand in faith and we've got to stay in faith so that our faith does not break down and cease to work for us. Well, finally, after they realized this was not the right course of action to take, God still told them, look, you're going to have a child, but it's not going to be Ishmael through Hagar. Sarah is going to have a child. And so finally, they got serious with their faith. You know, sometimes that's what it takes to get serious with our faith and say, you know what? I am making a decision right here and right now. This is what God said. He meant what he said. I'm believing it. I'm standing on that promise of God. I'm declaring it to be true in my life. And I will not take a thought or a suggestion that contradicts it. And what happened in their lives? Well, the Bible says they finally got to a place where they were in faith. And they believed that what God said, he was able also to perform, right? And who was born? Isaac. So you could say it this way. Ishmael is a work of the flesh. Isaac is a work of the spirit. It's important that we recognize the need for us to stay in faith so that rather than the flesh taking over, the spirit takes over and God's will can be accomplished in our lives. And so number three, impatience. And how do we overcome impatience? What did James say? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. We have to recognize the fact that whenever our faith is tried by the enemy, we have an opportunity to develop patience in our lives. To stand there in the face of it all and say, I declare what God's word says to be true, and I will not move, I will not budge, I will not have a breakdown in my faith life. I'm going to see it through to the end and the miracle occurs. Number four, these are opponents to our faith, obstacles to our faith. These are designed by the enemy to get us out of faith. This opposing force against us is fear. Look in Mark's gospel, chapter five. 
You know the story. The woman with the issue of blood just got done telling Jesus all that she had to tell him when she got her healing. But now, while he had spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which sat, said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Now, stop there just for a moment. Imagine hearing those words. Your child is dead. Don't bother the master any further. Wow. What a hard pill to swallow at that moment. So, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Only believe. What a counseling session. This guy just had his world rocked. Hearing the words, don't trouble him anymore. You see, death has come to your daughter. She's gone. And Jesus retaliates by saying, fear not. It doesn't get more bleak than that, does it? Don't be afraid. Only believe. How many of you know that God didn't give us a spirit of fear? He gave us three powerful forces to combat fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. Power. There is power in the name of Jesus. It is important that we recognize our need to use that name as an opposing force to fear and saying, fear, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Get out of my life. Spirit of fear. Notice it's a spirit of fear. is a spirit that's behind it. I stand against you. I declare in Jesus' mighty name that you have no place in me. I will not entertain fear whatsoever. Fear, be gone in Jesus' name. Power. Then there's love. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. Perfect love meaning not only am I walking in love, but I know the love the Father has for me. See, faith gets its energy by knowing the love that God has for us. So perfect love, when I'm maturing in love and I realize that the Father loves me, He loves all of us equally, it combats fear. Perfect love will cast out all fear. It will rid the heart of all fear. When I'm maturing in love and I realize that my Father loves me so, so much, more than any earthly father would love a child, I can count on Him. I can depend on Him. See what that does to our faith? I know when I jump off the edge of the swimming pool, he's going to catch me when I enter in. I know that because I know he loves me. And what about this last one? This last one can be tricky. A sound mind. A sound mind means a well-disciplined mind. A mind that's been trained. We're not to vacillate to and fro like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Stay focused. Set our mind on things above. This is what God said, and this is how it has to be. It reminds me of the three Hebrew children that were going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Do you sometimes, just in your meditation, think about that incident? Have you ever done that? It's easy to read these in the Bible and just say, well, not wonderful. But imagine yourself being there. You're one of the three. And imagine the king coming to you and saying, if you don't bow... Or bend to me, you will burn in this burning, fiery furnace. Peter, fearing for his life, 
denied the Lord three times in a moment. These three guys, they're facing a burning, fiery furnace that they have in view right there. I don't know about you. Some things that just make me cringe. I heard, I heard a story where this is just awful even to repeat. Where a mother, I guess she must have been demonized or something or just out of her mind. She put her baby in the oven and, and, and turned the oven on and put a, a, a chair in front of it saying that she was casting the devil out of her baby. I mean, it's, it's hard to even comprehend. And some, I better stop with that one. <laughs> you imagine yourself being right there in a burning, fiery furnace right there. All you have to do is just bend, bow your knee. Just say, yeah, I'll serve you, okay? No, they said, we are not even careful to answer you. As far as we're concerned, the God we serve, he can, and he, you want me to answer your question, O king? Because the question was, and who's the God that can deliver you out of this? And they said, that's easy. The God we serve, he can, and the God we serve, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He got infuriated, said, turn up the heat, as if that matters, on the furnace, had these soldiers of his to throw them in. They got killed. Imagine that. They got burned up just by getting that close to throw them in. And they get in there. And their youth group starts to have a wonderful worship service. And guess who joins them? The fourth man in the burning fiery furnace. Don't you love that story? You know why? Because he said, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. They took that to the limit. They believed that in reality. They declared it, proclaimed it. There wasn't even a tinge of doubt about it. Throw us in. My God can, and he will deliver me out of your hand. Guess who changed? The king. They came out unscathed, not even the smell of smoke. The only thing that burned was the ropes that had them bound. Wow. Fear. The devil will use fear to destroy our faith, to get our faith not to work. God wants us to get to a place in our lives that we, like these three Hebrew children, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Hallelujah. Next one. If you got some of these, you can say amen. Anybody have five senses? We walk by faith, not by what? Sight. Sight meaning our five physical senses or the evidence of our five physical senses. They've been given to us to navigate through life on this earth. And we thank God that we can use our sight when we see a car coming down the road. Except for the guy that I read about this morning. He was driving down the highway and there was a flatbed truck on one lane of the highway because there was an accident that took place and all the police were around it. And he was, I guess, rubbernecking and he was looking at to see what was going on with all these people that were here, you know, on the side of the road. 
And while he was doing that, and this is captured, you can see it on, on your phone, I guess, or whatever. And this guy that was looking at it didn't look in front of him and see where he was going. He hit, he hit the, tr the uh, truck, the flatbed that was up like this here. He hit it and went flying through the air, catapulted him, oh my goodness, so many hundreds of feet down the road, flipped his car over and all that. It pays to keep your eye on the road when you're driving and not the accident that's taking place around you. Five senses have been given to us to help us navigate through life. And the scripture's not saying that we shouldn't use them. But it's saying to us, we can't just be limited to our five physical senses. Because if we're limited to our five physical senses, we're going to limit God right out of our lives. You see, the one, uh, I guess, one of the Russian astronauts was out there and said, he's an atheist. I'm an atheist because I have left this realm. I've gone into outer space and I don't see God anywhere. I don't see an angel anywhere. I don't see God anywhere. I don't see a place called heaven anywhere. So I'm there and I'm educated. He said, I'm a very educated individual. So I do not see, I do not have any proof or evidence whatsoever that God exists. So he doesn't exist. That's exactly what he concluded. I have not seen, nor ear heard. So it doesn't matter if your eye sees or your ear hears. God is real. He's a reality. While we look not at things that are seen, look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight, by what we see, hear, feel, taste, smell. We walk by something greater than that. A sixth sense that God Almighty can be seen in the scriptures. He can be seen through the word. Faith goes beyond our five physical senses. When they were surrounded by the army at Dothan, and uh, uh, the Gehazi, the servant of the prophet Elisha, said, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to die? We're surrounded by this army. And what does he do? He says, Lord, open up his eyes. Would it not be wonderful every single day of our lives we just said, open up my eyes that I can see beyond this natural world in which I live? Because he said, look, there's more to be with us than to be with them. You know why we need to hear teaching on faith all the time? Because our five physical senses control our lives. Our five physical senses want to dictate to our lives and tell us what we should believe and tell us what we should do. And my feeling must be really real because of whatever. Well, let me tell you something. Oftentimes I do this with wedding ceremonies and I tell people that, look, love, there's different words for love in the Greek language. There's eros, that's the lower base love, which is a natural sexual attraction and et cetera, et cetera. The lower, we get the word erotic from that, that's love. Okay. The second one, storge, means compatibility. We need to make ourselves compatible. If we don't, we're going to create distance in our relationship rather than closeness in our relationship. Then there's phileo, that Philadelphian love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, you know, that's where that comes from, phileo. Uh, and that's responsive kind of love. It's a, a love that's based on feelings and emotions. And we all have those, right? Feelings and emotions. Sure we do. Well, as long as it's a good feeling and emotion, then everything is okay. It's a responsive kind of love. In other words, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You know, you give me a compliment, I'll pay you a compliment. You buy me a birthday gift, I'll buy you a birthday gift back etc., etc., you know the story. But then again, if you holler at me, what does it do? It responds and says, I'll holler at you. 
If you're mean to me, then I'll be mean to you. So it's responsive. So that kind of love is okay as long as it's on the good side. But when it comes to the negative side, then what happens is trouble. But the next kind of love is not based on feeling and emotion. It's called agape. It has nothing to do with feeling. has nothing to do with emotion. Oh, you can have feelings and emotions about somebody, but it's a love that's based on principle and decision. It's loving beyond our senses. I may not feel like it, but I'm going to love you anyhow. That's exactly what agape is all about. God so loved the world, the word is agape. It's not phileo, it's not story, it's not eros. It is agape. He so loved the world that while the world was not loving him, while the world actually hated him, he still loved the world enough to pay the ultimate price by sending his son to die for us. So that's where agape comes from. You don't have agape till you get born again. When you're born again, then you have the agape love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit of God who's given to you. And that's the love that's to govern our lives, actually to regulate our lives, our marriages, and, and that sort of thing. So it's not based on feeling and emotion. It's based on principle and decision. I am choosing to love you. I choose it. So when two people get married, they're, they're making a vow to one another that I would rather die than to say I don't love you anymore. Because you see, you made a vow saying that you wouldn't do that. So it's not based on feeling. It's not based on emotion. It's based on decision. What does that do to our five physical senses? It says you can't trust them. Well, why did you love him or her so much in the beginning? Well, because I just felt so wonderful. Now that's good. But now I know he snores. She doesn't know it, but so does she. Because I've never said it. Well, you get my point. It's not based on feelings and emotions. It's based on decision and principle. So whatever it is, the, whatever the problem might be, get it fixed. Because you see, your feelings and emotions are not enough to get us through this life that we live in, to navigate through this life. I believe God. Praise God. And this last one, Mm. Condemnation. This is probably one of the ones that just really has its way with people's lives. Not feeling good enough. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Not feeling good enough. There's not enough time to really set this, these verses up, but I'll try to do so quickly. In the Old Testament, we are told that they had to offer up sacrifices and offerings to the Lord so that they could have some kind of an approach to God. That their sins and iniquities kept them from the presence of God and they were not allowed to go to the presence of God. They had to go through a priesthood. And that priesthood had to offer up these sacrifices the way God set up the sacrifices so that they could have any kind of audience with God whatsoever. So there they are on the outside looking in. They could see from a distance, but that's about it. The blood of bulls and goats could only provide for them a covering for their sin one year at a time. And every year they had to offer the same sacrifice on the year, uh, Day of Atonement to cover their sins for a year. And then, of course, their sins would be covered and they'd be in, under God's, you know, covering. Well, as long as that covenant was in place, the Holy Ghost signified the fact that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made available. And that was it. And they lived that way for all those many years. But the time came when the ultimate sacrifice would be sacrificed. And once that sacrifice was offered, let's read this. 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You missed a great place to shout. (laughs) Did you hear that? Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Yesterday's gone. Aren't you glad? I won't remember them anymore. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Okay, so get that deep into our souls. Now look at the next verse, verse 19. Or, or, I'm sorry, this 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Hallelujah. You've not been redeemed with silver, gold, or the blood of bulls and goats. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And where that blood's been shed, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren... Having therefore, brethren, having what? What is it? Confidence, assurance, and boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Our sins have been remitted, and he doesn't remember them anymore. But the devil will come along and just say, but I heard what you said to your wife yesterday. Try to say something of your past, something that you did wrong in the past or whatever. Notice this. Because of the blood that was shed for our redemption, the way to the holiest of all has been made available to each and every one of us. So therefore, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us to the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, notice all those statements. Well, then what? Then let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of what? Faith. Your faith is not in your performance. Your faith is not in your works. It's not anything that you do or I do. Our faith is in the blood of Jesus and the performance of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have this assurance to enter into the holiest place of all. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water of the word. Hold fast our confession of faith without wavering, for faithful is he who promised. Our approach to God is not based on your works or my works. Our approach to God is based on the works of Jesus. And so when the guilt comes, when the condemnation comes, what are we supposed to do? Stand up, rise up, and say, I believe God. I believe the word. I believe in the power of the blood. I believe I've been redeemed. I believe my sins have been remitted. And thank God he doesn't remember them anymore. God is not remembering my faults and failures from yesterday. I'm coming today by the mercy of God with boldness, praise God, to the holiest place of all. I can enter in to the very presence of God because of the blood of the Lamb. And I enter in with boldness and confident assurance that I belong here, not because of me, Because of him, therefore, by him, therefore, let us come. Hallelujah. To the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and receive grace in the time of need. Do you go there every morning? Think about it, do you? Let's stand up while I'm saying this. Every morning, 
You know, you and I need great mercy and grace. Mercy's renewed every morning. Do you think he renewed it for his benefit? Or ours? I renew my mercy every morning for your benefit. So therefore, when we get you want to talk about an act of humility? Father, I need your mercy this morning. I know I'm living in a fallen body. I know, as Paul said, I got to beat up my flesh. If I don't, I could become a reprobate. And so I beat up my flesh. I'm, I'm one who wants to walk with God. And my flesh is against me. I understand that. So I need mercy. So don't look at me. Look at Jesus and give me mercy, not give me what I deserve. But then I'm not done with that. I want grace. Grace is divine empowerment that enables me to do the will of God in my life. So, Father, I need mercy and I need the unction to function. Give me both mercy and the unction to function today so that I can walk in holiness, righteousness, godliness, and truth. Faith is a fight. We have opposing forces against us. It's up to us to identify them, to recognize what they are, and become proactive and start taking our place and doing a stand against every one of them based on the truth that you just heard today. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. There's no guilt or condemnation because why? The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us and God doesn't remember our sin anymore. It's all in the past. It's all removed. All we got to do is just ask for mercy and grace. Let's lift our hands to heaven and thank Him. Hallelujah. For your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the access we have to the holiest place of all. Thank you that we can stand against fear, worry, anxiety, all these things that come against our faith. Our faith will not fail. Thank you for praying for our faith not to fail, Lord. Hallelujah. We stand before your throne and we thank you right now that we have access to the holiest place of all by the works of Jesus, by the blood that he shed for us. Oh, thank you for being faithful to the blood. Faithful to the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Thank you for being faithful to the blood of the Lamb. Thank Him for a moment. Just thank Him for a moment. Thank you for your faithfulness to the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. Glory be to God. We will not be deceived. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord. The Lord gave me a statement to say this morning about fear. Fear is having faith in the wrong thing. Faith is having faith. Faith is believing in the right thing. Fear is believing in the wrong thing. Faith is believing in the right thing. You see, Jairus was told your daughter's dead. Fear would believe that death has the final say. It's believing in the power of death. Faith believes in the power of God. To be greater than death. And our five senses can't handle that. Because when a person's dead, they're gone. And for us, that's final. In the natural world. He's wanting us to elevate our faith to a place that we say, it could be as hopeless as not just dead, the valley of bones. It could be the valley of bones. And we connect with God as the prophet did. Ezekiel, can these bones live? He asked a question that would baffle anybody's mind, right? Ask anybody in the medical field, can these bones live? Speak to those bones. Mm. What words? God wants us to start speaking even to death. Hopeless situations, shattered dreams, and start speaking 
the word live. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Speak life and not death. Thank you, Jesus. Let that sink in. Speak to your situation. Speak life to it. Don't be intimidated. Don't be in fear. Believe beyond the five senses. Believe beyond the feelings of fear. Believe beyond the unbelief. Believe beyond the guilt and condemnation. Believe beyond any deception that the devil would throw your way. The greater one lives in every single one of us. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. We believe and see the glory of Almighty God. We're not limited to the senses. We're not limited to the bones that are there in the valley. We're not limited whatsoever to what anything anyone else would say. We're only believing in the greatness of the God that we serve. Hallelujah. 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 Let him know you believe. Beyond your senses, believe. Beyond the hopeless situation. Beyond the shattered dream. I believe and I see the glory of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe in the plan of God for our lives. If you're out there and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I just want you to know something. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. He did everything he could do for you to get you into his eternal kingdom so that you don't have to spend your eternity in a lake of fire. He's done that for you. Now the ball's in your court. The ball's in my court. It's up to us to make a decision. I am not going to be like that astronaut that's up there saying God doesn't exist. As far as I'm concerned, if I allow myself, I'm going to believe beyond my senses and recognize the fact that God does exist. He's my creator. He's my redeemer. He made provisions for my eternity. He didn't put me here on this earth for temporary things. I live forever, and I want to live with him forever. If you mean that from your heart, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if you will, from your heart, you'll become a child of God right now. Just pray with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and justification. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my heart. I receive you as Savior and Lord of my life. I deny myself to take up my cross and follow you every day of my life. Heavenly Father, I've called upon the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved the name of Jesus. According to your word, I am now your child in Jesus' name. Amen.